0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. In this podcast, I speak to Roger Madeline, head of Canada Water for British Land. Roger was the CEO of Argent for 15 years, and over his career has been responsible for envisioning and transforming major cities, including Birmingham's Brindley Place, and most famously, London's King's Cross redevelopment. He is now set to transform a huge piece of Zone 2 London in Southwark. He takes us on a tour of the future site.
1: Anyway, where are you? You're in a tall building. It's 25 storeys. It's built by Barrett uh, and it was finished in early 2014. Uh, Barrett uh, bought um, a reasonable chunk of land around Canada Water Station in 2006 from Southwark. Uh, and they built uh, the building we were in in the cafe had uh, Hawkins Brown. This is Glen House.
0: The view is incredible
1: Well, the view the view is Incredible and some people have said it's it's the best view of central London for for reasons you can You can see uh, but we we really like it because we say to people look over your right-hand shoulder <laughs> and you see canary wharf And then you realize that we are actually halfway between Canary Wharf and the city of London. And even people in property, even people that are in property who've lived in London for decades do not know where Canada water is. They think if pushed, it's somewhere to the east of Canary Wharf and Denmark. uh, And they are completely gobsmacked. And they're completely gobsmacked uh, probably before they come up here because they've just come from the West End in 11 minutes. So it's 11 minutes on the Jubilee Line to, to Green Park. Um, and the Jubilee Line, we all know about that. You know, what a fantastic U-shape and going up to the northwest and the north-east of London. It's the only underground line that crosses all the other London area. We know all about that, that's why it's so successful. But the reason I'm here and very excited about it is the overground intersection here and it goes rotherhithe goes under the river you know, in Brunel's tunnel first you know major tunnel going under a water body in the world uh, and it goes to these completely unknown places such as shoreditch high street and hoxton and haggerston and Dalston junction yeah you know. and 10 years ago in property people would have gone like where's haggerston you know like shoreditch high street like what's that you know what's that it's the most exciting kind of like tech growth area, office rents are 75 quid a foot, you know, if you can live there you know you have to be very rich now to live there um, you know, connecting up into Hackney, so that's that's great and we also go to Highbury and Islington so you know, posh old people can get here as well but that line intersects here, it goes down to Surrey Docks and then it you know, um, goes to West Croydon, it goes to Sydenham it goes to Crystal Palace, it goes to New Cross you know, and then it branches off to the west and it goes to you know Peckham and it goes to Denmark Hill and it goes to Clapham and it goes to Wandsworth and then it hits Clapham Junction so posh people from the west of London can get here as well and you know that that connectivity that you know, catchment area is extraordinary and as we said earlier for people under the age of 35 you know this is one of the most accessible parts of London now and in 5 years time you know it will be the most accessible part if we carry on growing in that hemisphere a uh, semicircle of uh, you know, northeast east southeast and south which you know we will because you know they ain't building any more homes in richmond
0: when you identified this as a place to develop or british land identified it that was that transport link the number one consideration or well, what are the things that
1: for me yes you know and, and um, for, for british land you know it wasn't a hey, let's get 53 acres of Canada Water because it's an amazing place. You know, like lots of things, you know, a little bit of happenstance. You know, we bought a 50% interest in Surrey Quay Shopping Centre as part of a national retail portfolio from Slough Estates. And we were going to jointly develop it with Tesco's and, you know, upgrade it and make it into a, you know, a better shopping centre. And then the Daily Mail, I'll show you their, their building. They moved out in 2012 and wanted to sell the building quite quickly and someone knew Chris Grigg from Goldman Sachs and... You know, or do you think Grieg might buy it quickly because you know, they'd forgot to sell it or something, they had a year end coming up, you know, like the way these things happen. So British Land literally bought the print works in two weeks. You know, we thought we were going to get planning permission and flog it. And then suddenly the shopping centre you know, extension scheme was kind of like, is that really the right thing to do? And Chris had been up to King's Cross and we were looking at Broadgate again and you know, like, well, yeah, maybe we could you know, do a new mixed use thing at Canada Water so british land started looking at that and then someone said well we need more land which is quite often the case so we then bought the uh, the cinema and the bowling and suddenly we got 46 acres oh it's a big place you know like, let's do a master plan million pounds a month you know like allies and morrison going great you know more money but coming up with a technically very competent master plan you kind of looked at it it's like one of their 26 master plans and it wasn't you know they had three-headed client in British land. You had a retail client, you had a residential client, you had a you know, workspace client. And, and Chris Grigg, chief executive, just thought, someone needs to run this, you know, dedicated run it. And he knew I was leaving Argent at the end of the year, so he said, do you want to come and run it? And I said, I don't know. You yeah, know, let me, let me spend some time, let me wander around. I brought my wife down, and, you know, we came here on the overground, we came here on the underground, I cycled here, you know, I took the bus here. You know, I walked here, you walked to Tower Bridge in 20 minutes, you cycled to the Bank of England in 13 minutes. You kind of go to Canary Wharf, you think, oh, well, Canary Wharf, You know, going out of town. Yeah, you walk into the parks, you walk into the woods, you go like, of course I'm gonna do this. Yeah. No residents to move, yeah. 46 acres, we've now got 53. Yeah, vacant possession, yeah. like really accessible for an amazingly exciting demographic. And a planning policy that says, please come and get on with it. Oh, yeah, And he had good cycle facilities so in British land, so it was fine. And lovely people, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find any nasty thing about British land. I did, I'd did. i known them, but you never really know them, do you? So I checked them out, all my mates and contractors and architects. You work at British land, what are they like? They're oh, really nice. And they are really nice, so here I am. So, um, hive Peninsula, 463 acres. You've got the river... Uh, that way and straight behind me you've got uh, Greenwich, you can see the uh, Maritime College over there. You've got views from the Maritime College uh, across our site to St Paul's and that restricts about a third of our site to about six commercial storeys okay. uh, and I like that. So we can't do that, many tall buildings, uh, a bit like King's Cross, You know, like that stops that debate then. <laughs> Just can't do it, great. That's good then. Um, and almost all of the development you can see, looking this way, dates from the 1980s. And uh, low-density cul-de-sac housing in the middle, housing along the edge. Uh, a lot of people started to live here, so you've got the schools, you've got Bacon's Academy, which was the first uh, academy to be built. This Britain. one with the red? The one with the big metal roof, yeah. Aha, uh-huh, yes. The, um, that's Bacon's Academy. Uh, then you've got the, the other metal roof with the red, it's Alfred Salter uh, Primary School. Just behind that you've got a single-form entry Roman Catholic school and then just the other side of, of the woods you've got Red Rift, which is, uh, which is another primary school. And just to the left, where we were just looking, you've got uh, Albion Street School. So you've got two Offsted outstanding uh, primary schools here, so you know, it's, it's a good place to live. Uh, if you've got kids. You can see the the, the housing down here, the Barrett's housing, you know, it's, it, I think it is. It's more than decent, it's, it's pretty nice and it goes through the woods over to, to Surrey Dock. London Docks Development Corporation did a number of uh, of, of great things. Uh, they planted Russia dock with a woodland uh, and they built that conical hill uh, to enable people to stand on it and to survey the 460-odd acres of desert because that's what it looked like, you know, when in 1979 almost all of the docks had been filled in with London's building waste and allegedly to cray twin victims. So, you know, whether we find those poor victims or whether we find some of the 19,000 bombs that were dropped here, obviously not all of them didn't explode, but we will find some unexploded bombs. But Uh, low-level contamination here, you know, it's domestic building waste, so you've probably got a few sofas and, you know, pictures and televisions and stuff. They probably didn't sort all that stuff out when they loaded it onto the back of a lorry and tipped it into Surrey docks. Uh, some great old footage of, you know, the, the docks being filled in, and obviously even better footage of the docks, you know, actually in operation. So Is it
0: marshy? So will you have to pile? It
1: was it was marshy uh, when King Canute allegedly first cut his you know, his dry dock in here in 1035. Um, it's marshy, but it's not you know, it's not it's not particularly bad. Yes, we will pile. We'll have to pile uh, generally anyway. Um, we'll probably have to take out some of the some of the dock infill. Um, about 50% of the land was water, uh, so infilled. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not the gasworks from King's Cross, you know, it's not, it's not um, you know, nuclear or any... Um,
0: Post-industrial waste.
1: Chemistry, uh, chemi- chemical uh, industry. Um, so you also got um, light industrial uses in here. Most of those, all of those, have, have gone. There's the odd warehouse down there. But then you've got the Harmonsworth Key printworks built by the uh, Daily Mail group, opened in 1986 by a lady called Mrs. Thatcher, I think. Um, and it was we're told the largest most technically advanced print works in Europe uh, of its time. Um, Daily Mail moved out in 2012 Um, but uh, it's uh, it's a big whale of a building uh, and we spent uh, some time thinking actually my wife when we first walked around here she said what are you doing with that? I said I don't know I said I've only just arrived here like you she said you've got to keep it I said why have we got to keep it she said because you'd never build anything like that again would you and I went you're right we wouldn't and she's right as she always is Um, but it took us a few months to work out what to do with it but we are super excited now uh, about reconfiguring it and doing some of the things that uh, we're already doing in it and converting uh, about half of it into workspace and i'll show you half into
0: workspace and then the rest
1: the rest into some kind of performance space So the last 20-odd months, we've been just trying to get income from from the space. So we've had car launches, motorcycle launches, you know, big property festivals. We had WeWorks, you know, annual awards in there. We've had pop-up theatres in there. We've had Royal Canadian Ballet dancing, orchestras, you know, dance festivals, you know, filming. But the main uh, driver has been the music events. So we've had 300,000 people there. to listen to electronic music events. So most weekends in the autumn, winter, we get uh, 5,000 people you know, from midday till 10 o'clock at night to hear a variety of DJs, some of which are paid uh, 80,000 pounds for two hour set. You know, poor little loves, so they fly into Farber in their you know, golf streams and you know, get the chauffeur-driven car up. You know, we've got this amazing company that then brings in various promoters. Uh, they're called the Vibration Group. Um, and their, their job you know, from us is just to get anyone that will pay us income to use use the space and they've teamed up for for various events uh, most of the music events are run by a company called Broadwick Live that's part of Global Radio Group uh, but they team up with other people for some of the live music events it's it's a very interesting business music and promotion and something I don't understand and uh, it's it's very exciting there's some great characters in it the basic driver is just income from anyone that's legal that doesn't damage British Land's brand. Uh, but of course, we knew in doing that we would find, we hoped we would find someone that is quite interesting. Uh, I've always liked the idea of of music, you know, in a in a part of the city. You know, I said at the early days of King's Cross, you know, and it is is in writing, so it's not just you know um, post rationalisation. You know, King's Cross there will be 50 places to. You know, hear and see you know, music being performed it's not going to happen you know, they are going to open the live music place but I'm not saying that here but um, wouldn't it be nice if this was the best place to, to come and experience music in all its forms from orchestras to buskers to live music to people in bars or, or whatever but you know, we're, not, we're not going to say that at the moment because I just think uh, it's a nice aspiration but maybe Canada Water could be the biggest open art gallery in the world. I don't know. You know, whatever, whoever, whoever comes to us with a good idea and we like, and you know, the business plan seems to work, we'll we'll give it a go. But I think I think music and performance is going to be a major part of that. You know, we're we're getting a very good uh, good sense of the commercial uh, returns on it. You know, and the investment required. I think we're going to have to work it very hard. I think we probably need at least two kind of operations there. You see where it says Harmonsworth Keys, we think we can convert that box, that plant room box, into another venue. You know, we don't just want one kind of music, we don't just want electronic music or, you know, or noisy, amplified music, you know, we want orchestras and different kinds of performance and dance and theatres and stuff like that as well.
0: But you see a major cultural venue or several cultural venues as as key to this as a place. Is culture something that was never really arrived at King's Cross in a major venue?
1: Uh, I, I tried. I always used to say that if Mrs. Guggenheim, you know, was around, well I said, Mrs. Guggenheim, if she knew about plot P2, she'd wake up from the dead and put a new Guggenheim at King's Cross, you know, more than the other 280 cities that wanted one. And we, we got, the, the Aga Khan was going to put a big, you know, cultural building there and that was great, but for for various reasons, you know, they just did the academic building um, and the student accommodation up there, which is great, but, uh, but we did talk to them uh, for quite a while about, you know, a, a, a big cultural building, you know, with performance in it and the building that's Replacing that uh, has got a, a theater in it, you know a six hundred uh, capacity theater, um, as well as Facebook's new offices um, but you know, a good piece of city has culture, a good piece of city, has education, a good piece of city, you know has retail, a good piece of city you know has housing. You know,
0: is that a tinge of, of regret
1: well at king's cross uh, it's not a tinge of regret you know uh, there is going to be slightly more offices at King's Cross. Uh, than probably we all would have thought in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, But successful cities accommodate the demands. There is still enough residential there. Uh, I always thought Kings Cross should have more retail in, in culture, but the planning system wouldn't let us. So here the planning system says, yeah, you can do a million square feet. We probably won't do a million square feet, but at least we've got that opportunity to do as much as i think we want as much as any sane person would do as much as the board will let me do and of course you know people like we work are now going oh we've got these thousands of people working you know they kind of like other stuff whether you call it retail or culture or B, people like To get out of their office you know not the people you talk to obviously they don't want to go too far but but you know
0: do you Uh, have a market
1: no but we will have a market i will tell you about our market maybe but i might have to kill you because it's so exciting that um no one else has done one yet probably a reason why no one else has done one yet but other people people who know more than me about markets are very excited as well about our market idea which of course has to be flexible because it might be a stupid idea or it might be a great idea but then it only lasts for a few years. So our 53 acres, um, we connect into that wood. So we connect into the 40 acres of wood and Stave Hill Ecology Park. Uh, I don't know if you can see the the land just over there that's not built on, connects into the wood. Uh, We own Harmersworth Quay and the land just this side of Harmersworth Quay with the tumbleweed on it is three acres owned by King's College London. Uh, So they were one of the first people we met and said, shouldn't you be doing something other than 700 student beds and a little bit of offices there? And they went, maybe, maybe not. We'll have a think. You know, let's have a think. Anyway, they're still thinking, but they'll probably do the 700 student beds and that will be fine. Um, But we've been talking to uh, a number of higher education uh, institutions. Uh, Some of them involve King's College, some of them don't. Uh, and we are determined to to embed uh, one of those here as soon as we possibly can. Hopefully, I will get a phone call today that hopefully says you know we have made traction with with one that's very exciting. If not, yeah, I've got. so a
0: campus or an outpost or uh, some kind um,
1: of an institute more than an outpost, more than an outpost, <laughs> c- cent- <laughs> central <laughs> central uh, central world facility. Uh, because it's a very good place to get to if you're a student, or a lecturer, or a visitor, or an you know, industry partner, or, or whatever. So yes, yeah, so we own Harmsworth Key, we own the land that connects into the woods, and if you have a look this way, uh, you'll see the dock which now goes into the 500 year lease, so we get the dock and the piazza next to Piers Gough Library. As part of the management agreement, we could raise the water level of the dock back up a metre and a half. It's been leaking slowly for a while. We enhance the wetlands where we work with London Wildlife, Wildlife Trust and we put a new boardwalk halfway across, you know, through the wetlands like Woodbury Down. So if you arrive at work, you are know, having seen a kingfisher, you know, as you're walking through the wetlands and you're a miserable, git, you just turn around and go home. Uh, you go back to the Presse Manger. We give you a map, so here is your Presse Manger, this is how you find it. Um, and then the, the character of the boardwalk changes and then it arrives roughly where the range sign is and then we're working on a, on a new kind of, what are we calling stuff. stuff so yeah, yeah. workplace and stuff and leisure and uh, market. We've got a big market hall in there. Tell
0: with, me about the market.
1: Well we want to create a, a big adaptable volume that is joyous just to walk in. You know, I think some of the best markets in the world you walk in and you go, wow, yeah, what a nice space. Uh, and then the ideas at the moment um, include uh, very, very seasonal food. So if I said to you asparagus, you might go yuck. But if I said to you asparagus in northern Europe, you'd go ah. In when is it springtime? You know they go mad on asparagus. You know, you know that white asparagus, and you know, everyone goes to asparagus markets and you learn about asparagus. And if I said to you, big orange cauliflowers, you'd probably think I'd gone mad. But if you're in Israel or you know, the Palestinian territories, in October, I think, they get these massive orange cauliflowers and they do, they just like, they celebrate cauliflowers. And of course, Ottolenghi does wonderful things. So we're going to pick a, a series of very seasonal, you know, two weeks, you know, you've got asparagus or, you know, one week you've got these cauliflowers or... You know, one month you've got onions, or one week you've got tomatoes, or one week you've got you know, apples, or stuff like that. And we're going to have a whole festival around that one produce, one product. And Tesco's are very excited. Waitrose got very excited at Kings Cross, but then they just oh, you know, like we're trying to survive, and you know, like you know, look at our square footage and returns and you know, return on capital, and you know, like oh, we've got too many stores, and like we're going to have to lay loads of people off, so you know, like we can't do it. Uh, But Tesco's, you know, they're going, that's interesting.
0: I think what's um, interesting about markets in the traditional kind of market stall sense is those are micro, micro, micro businesses. You know, they're not high risk. You get a lot of innovative people who will take a stall who can't afford to take a permanent space. Do you think that has a place in place making that kind of micro business? Absolutely,
1: because some stuff will, will work, some stuff won't work. And, you know, that space also has to be very adaptable because, you know, you know, if that idea of, you know, asparagus and cauliflowers and onions and tomatoes, yeah. You know, it might work. It might be brilliant. Yeah, we might run it for five years and then everyone goes, I'm, I'm fed up with that. So then you want to do something else, don't you?
0: But uh, my yeah. favourite things that you did at King's Cross were the temporary ones. Yeah. Like the skip garden, the well, the there. the pool.
1: Yeah. The, well we've got the freshwater uh, well, pool. We have got the uh, And then they go away and then everyone is upset again. They don't go away. Well. The, the pool did, but I I'll come back to that in a sec. we We've got uh, Jane Ridder from Global Generation here. Uh, she's doing the paper garden. So she has taken you know, everything that was great about the skip gardens and she has arrived here and she is going to take that somewhere else. And she's the lady working with the time and talents, the old, the old people. Uh, I can't remember how many you know, kids she's got working you know, on her programme. Um, if she's if she's there, we'll pop in and have a look. Um, so, yeah, so she's here, embedded. Uh, the pond at King's Cross, you know, we always knew that was going to be a problem when we got rid of it. But it, it was, although you couldn't book, you know, uh, more than two weeks in advance, was it, or something, you know, you got the same people phoning up on the Monday morning, you got the same crew of, you know, like, 25 people. You go, oh, I swim every Monday and I phone up. It was quite... Exclusive, you know, it was a limited number. You can only put so many people in there because the Brits don't wash properly anyway. So you know, you had to worry about the not putting chemicals in it you know, and how you know, many people would go in the pool and stuff like that. Um, so um, and we knew that that group, you know, who loved it, were going to go mad when we got rid of it. So, uh, but anyway, it was. But it, it wasn't for everyone. It was good for a while and it looked wonderful. And, um, so yeah, we've we've got some plans here. We've got some plans here.
0: Do you, so two but things I was at Reading Lido
1: last week, just having a look. Go and have a look, Reading Lido, yeah. Go and have a look. It's the guys that did the one in Bristol. It's the, it's the Victorian one that was derelict in Bristol and he turned it into, he refurbished it. And so
0: you want to do a Lido?
1: Um, go and like that, like Reading or yeah, quite small. It's basically a restaurant. It has to make money from the restaurant. It has to make money from the spa and then you can have it open. But open swimming is wonderful.
0: So, uh, I've heard two things people have been saying to me. One is, a place for everyone is a place for no-one, and the other one... Who said
1: that? A place for everyone is a place for no-one?
0: It, it, it was a statement against generic city-making. But then... And the other thing that was said to me was that if you make a place for some people, then it's obviously not going to be for other people.
1: You can't win, can you? No. <laughs> you can't win.
0: So, which one is it?
1: Yes, both of the above, because you know a place for everyone you know, you can always find a place that you know is just for you, can't you? you know, I tend to find the place in the sunshine, yeah, you know, <laughs> but you know I can actually get enough light to read you know because my eyesight's failing and it's warm enough, and you can watch the world going past, and you're not you know, polluted by those metal box things with four wheels chucking out poisonous fumes, you know that's my place, so is that a place for everyone, but I get there first, no, no, no sit there um, are you. Yeah, take King's Cross, Granary Square, on a sunny day. The chairman said to me, 2012, you know, thousands of kids there, weren't there? He said, isn't this getting a bit... Isn't this getting a bit... I can't remember his words. He said, isn't this getting a bit too much? What are you going to do about it? And I said, put more deck chairs out. And he kind of, like, looked at me and rolled his eyes. And I said, look, if you don't like the kids running around and you don't like the dogs trying to bite the fountain, you know, just go over there, you know, like you go into Gas Holder Park, which we hadn't built then. Like I said, you go over to Gas Holder Park or you go into, you know, Handyside Park. Or, you know, if you're a really miserable git, you know, you go a little bit further north you know, and you go and sit, you know, or you could, you know, you could cross the road and you could go, you know, to Bemerton Park. You know, like, it's for everyone, but, you know, you can find your own place. And I think that's, that's the key. You've got to make these places where everyone feels welcome, but then everyone can be their own person in their own place you know you don't all you don't all get funneled through Westfield that's you know you go to Stratford you know I think it's one thing of what's happening Stratford's kind of wonderful but it's not for me you know to kind of get anywhere in Stratford you go through Westfield now well, you know some people like Westfield and you know maybe I do sometimes I haven't found what that time is yet but, some of
0: know. the teenagers do some
1: of the teenagers do it's warm and dry and it's you know, a social meeting place and stuff like that but I wouldn't want to walk through there every day going to work um, but I think it's great that Westfields are there, um, great for London, yeah, and great for thousands and thousands of people that, that use them and like them. Um, so I think, yes, yeah, both of what you said you know, is, here uh, is, is the answer. Um, have you been in the printworks? No. No. Oh, come on, we no, need to walk do
0: that.
1: with that. Uh, sorry, yeah, this, this, this site here yeah. is uh, owned by Notting Hill Housing and they've got uh, the seller group development managing. Uh, This is just coming up for completion. It's 234 apartments for market rent. Uh, It's designed by McCrane and Lavington. It's got 100,000 square foot of stuff, formerly known as retail, on the ground and first floor by DeCatherine. It's the largest sports good shop in Britain and it's very successful, so retail isn't dead. You you could buy your your blow-up canoe online, but people don't know they want a blow-up canoe, so they go in there. And they and come they out really with a blow-up canoe and you go, did you really want to buy that? They go, no, but you know, it's only 60 quid and it's fantastic. The kids are going to be... Nice so they like, they like having a shop. They like having something that people go in. They have a great online business as well. Um, and they own the, the warehouse on the water and that's, they've got a David Chipperfield permission for um, a 42-storey tower uh, and some other lower-level residential on that plot, and then they also own the plot with the blue roof lights, the warehouse over there, which is Hawker House, which is calling to the Times restaurant critic the best restaurant in Britain. You went around it the other day, Yes, yeah, it does nice food. It's kind of permanent street food. Uh, it's very good, open on Friday and Saturday night, and that's where the, um, the more affordable housing element for you know their planning permission would come with that, uh, with, with that scheme. Uh, so we've got Notting Hill and Seller here, and then we've got Kings, and then we've got our 53 acres. So we're working very closely with those guys. So if you add that land, and then you add the 120 acres of Greenland Dock, which we connect into through that uh, pink-listed bascule uh, bridge over there. Can you just see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we connect into 24 acres of the dock over there. And if you come up to the other corner. So before you look down at the largest surface car park in, uh, in London, have a look at the all-weather athletics track shining. Have a look at the football pitches that you know, were cricket pitches. And in the trees, you might just see the Boating Lake, uh, which used to be a Lido uh, area. And then you've got tennis courts and a bandstand. And you know, then it goes over Jamaica Road. Uh, and then it turns into King Stairs Garden. But you've got 64 acres of Southwark park there which is absolutely wonderful. Now, we don't connect absolutely directly into it, but we own land uh, and the old Rotherhithe police station that will enable us to have a really decent connection down to Lower Road, across Lower Road, and then that's the main route into Southwark Park. So you can do your 5K circuit around the park into our land. You can do your passage Passagata through our land. You know, stay in our land, obviously, and you know, spend all your money and all those things that we hope you do or just add to the safety and security and just be there and you know, make other people want to go there because you're there, all the, all the things that we want people in our developments and public realm to do. You could go over to Greenland Dock under the bridge, you could walk along the dock and then you join Russia Dock Woodlands, you go through the woods and then you come into our land there. And it's just, I don't know any other part of city where you can kind of develop... Uh, and connect into that kind of green and blue space
0: and how are you engaging with the residents around here are they, and how are they how are they reacting? Uh, you said nobody has to be moved
1: no which is good um. and uh, we've had four years of consultation, about ten thousand people have actually physically been to the consultation events. Generally in every topic there is a majority in favour of uh, the the mix of uses, even the quantum of uses, uh, the public realm, uh, the timing, the phasing, the designs. But the one that has got the least majority is what you can do about Canada Water Station and the buses and the roads, and they're all crap, they're all full, you you can't do any development. But it's still slightly over 50% in favour and people go oh actually you know if you get people coming out here we can see how that will get better and if you have other restaurants and cultural facilities here you know I don't always have to go and see my friends elsewhere in London you know they come here and see me you know there is there is a general enthusiasm there's a there's a bit of skepticism you know are you really going to do it you know that good you know or oh, British land you know okay you're British we know where your office is you know okay you've done well, Broadway, oh, Broadway Madeleine's involved King's Cross you know, so there is a there is an element of, we, we kind of trust you, but until people see it, there's a little bit of scepticism. What is it um, that
0: they really want? They want you to sort out the infrastructure and the travel, but yeah. anything else?
1: Jobs? Uh, certainly the estates around here um, are very keen on you know, what's in it for our young people. You know, they're very passionate about teenagers and keeping them busy and you know, very concerned about knife crime uh, and job opportunities and training. Uh, you've got the residents over there, you know, most of them are yeah, private residents, you know, they're kind of disruption, um, you yeah, know, just congestion, uh, a lot of them, you know, have got cars, you know, like, it's going to get worse, you know, but yeah, we kind of like the idea of better shopping and we like the idea of better restaurants, but, you know, what are you going to do about all the issues, you know, you go, well, those issues are London issues and they're not going to be made. Worse in some instances by us and they're not going to be made that much worse in some instances and we're going to improve the station and stuff like that um, and then you've got some of the people in, uh, in in and around that area again a lot of private uh, residences you know how are you going to deal with the primary school kids you know we're going to put another form entry on there well how's that going to work it it is more um, nitty gritty concerns as opposed to you know, doubling the population of Rotherheim, you know, even you know, the, uh, the ecology people say well that's fine but you need to manage it, you, know, you, you need to make sure that you know, all of these people coming into the area don't suddenly you know, want to wander through the ecological side of it, you know, so you need to you know, inform, you need to improve the paths, you need to improve the lighting. So I think there is a, there is a general yes, it's good, uh, it could be really good, But, you know, the jury's kind of out a bit. You know, we need these checks and balances, which is a sort of healthy approach.
0: And it's quite sparsely populated for Everyone's friendly to me,
1: you know, some of the communities don't like each other so much, you know. Um, But, you know, because they are quite distinct communities. Uh, You know, there's the usual kind of politics and characters and stuff like that. So, but, you know, we're we're kind of least hated, I guess. For
0: now.
1: For now, yeah, for now. Yeah, everyone's friendly if you, if you make the effort to listen. People are, people are warm, they make nice tea and stuff like that. Yeah, everyone offers me a cup of tea when I go around, which is always a good start, isn't it? You've got to take a 15, 20 year view on this because you can, you can almost guarantee that when you start, the economy is going to be shit. And everyone's going to go, you're really building? two new office buildings, you're building a big hole in the ground, you've got three tower cranes up, no one's going to take them, you know, like the economy's crap, and you go, yeah, but look at the economic cycles, and they go, no, this is different, you know, it's just going to be crap forever, and you go, well, probably it's going to be all right in two or three or four years' time, and it takes two or three years to to build the thing, don't worry it'll be alright and, and saying don't worry you know, depends on your finance and if you, if you can take that long term view I think we'll be alright you know, if, if you analyse developments over two or three cycles you know, generally if, if you've got the right kind of money and you invest in the right kind of things they generally do alright but you get the timing wrong you invest too much money at the wrong time You know, big developments have gone bust you know, King's Cross, the developers went bust Silver Town Keys—they're on the third developer. You know, Earl's Courts having challenges at the moment, isn't it? Uh, Brindley Place in Birmingham—developer went bust. You know, most most big development—Canary Wharf went bust. You know, do you want to do you want to invest in a big development? You want to put your life savings in it?
0: Well, you you've invested here.
1: Uh, I've invested here. I invested in Kings Cross. Yeah, but yeah, at, and it was a bit scary. It will. Um, I don't know. History says it will probably get a bit scary here at some point, but history also says it will be all right if you're in for the long term. If you invest in quality, you put the public realm in. You know, people are, are still going to want to live. Is London's population really going to reduce that quickly? You know, I think some of the some of the scenarios say the population will. If it hasn't already slowed down its growth, some scenarios say London's population will start reducing, but most of them say London's population will carry on. Just the, the rate of growth will slow down. Um, you know, we can't believe Brexit will be so kind of xenophobic and anti-intelligent, uh, you know, bright, young people here you know, wanting to come over here that it will, it will kind of kill the golden goose. Can't be that stupid Brexit, can it? But, you know, it might be. Late spring, we can start some of the infrastructure. Um, you know, we'll start the buildings properly, you know, late summer next year. And If if uh, British land, you know, and if the economy, if, if we just go, let's just carry on as fast as we can, you know, we, we could physically do this in 12 years. Tell uh, me where
0: you're taking uh, us. It's gotten very quiet.
1: We We couldn't do it quicker than that logistically, um, you know, and keeping a lot of the shopping here and the cinema and the bowling and stuff here. You, you know. can't
0: do it faster than 15... 12. 12 years.
1: 12 is the fastest we could really go. Now, it, it would be wonderful you know, if, if, uh, if we did it in that kind of timescale. King's Cross, we always said, was, would take 15. If we did it as fast as we could, it's, it's probably going to take 20. started off a little bit slow for obvious reasons. It's slowed down a bit Uh, and now it's speeding up again. So we, um, this is the dock office, Uh, that's listed. Uh, It was built in the uh, 1890s uh, to um, administer and and run the expanded Surrey commercial docks. Uh, That building was the first building to hit in the Blitz, uh, September 7th, Saturday afternoon. 1940. My mum's best friend was in the basement of a school, the other side of the park. She said it was absolutely horrendous. She spent seven months every night sleeping in the basement. She's got terrible claustrophobia now. You know, three days the brother hive uh, docks were on fire. Over 270 odd people died. 19,000 bombs were dropped here. Anyway, that's, there's blue plaque on that. On that, This isn't listed, but you know, it's, it's wonderful. So we're going to, to lower the the land here and and there back down to the the road level this was raised up when they dug out Canada dock and we're going to create the first major new public space here and this is going to connect across uh, Surrey sorry keys road here yeah, and, and that could open up through into uh, Albion street you know, and form part of the connection to the to the river
0: is this your granary square
1: this isn't the Granary Square, no, this is, this is going to be Dock Office Square. So it's going to be very different. You know, hopefully it will, be, uh, it will be much greener and quieter, but you can see it faces south. So this, if you moved into this office building, uh, you're going to have big arguments you know, moving in here because there's three six-storey uh, warehouse buildings connected. Uh, and this side obviously faces south onto this lovely square, and you're going to have a you know, restaurant here opening out. Uh, so you might want to be on this side, but you might want to look out over the dock, and you know, all the lovely wetlands and you know, all the wildlife there, or you might want to you know, look out you know, across the river and Tower Bridge, or you might want to look at the building next door, which is a wonderful building next door. Pro- <laughs> probably not, you probably want one of the other three. And then there's a 35-storey tower, residential tower embedded uh, in, the, in the far corner over there. Um, so we're going to build this spec, first phase get digging, this time next year, big tower crane up, probably two tower cranes up, big hole in the ground, uh, finished end of 2022. And the second building, uh, the building that you'll be dying to look at if you sit on this side of it, uh, is 180,000 square feet of offices above a new 60,000 square foot health and leisure centre for Southwark. Uh, So we relocate the petrol filling station. Tesco's over the other side. We dig back down, we build the swimming pool two swimming pools you know, over there Then we build the big sports hall and then we build the offices above it.
0: And who are your architects? Uh,
1: this is Allies Morrison. Uh, and the one next door is annoyingly Allies Morrison because we asked them to do a, uh, a little kind of constraints brief, you know, to prepare a brief to go to two or three architects so You have a little competition. And the director of Allies Morrison, Paul Eaton, uh, took it as a little competition for him and his team. He did it over the weekend and he came in uh, and he said, here's the constraints, stuff you've asked me for, and, and here's a building. And we went, wow, that's great, who's done that? And he went, I did it. And I went, damn, it's really good. <laughs> so the buggers have got two buildings here, but we are working with uh, several other architects, uh, Doug and Morris, now called Morris and Co, is he? Morrison, too, yeah. and Co, uh, And working with McCrane and Lavington, and we're working with uh, Hawkins Brown, and we're working with a couple of others, and we're just about to... Select a few more. Uh, In fact, we have selected one, but we haven't told anyone yet. So, Uh, yeah, we want to try and do the Kings Cross stuff. Get get people who are good and respected, and work with each other, and take the piss out of each other, and all that kind of stuff.
0: And some women architects this time.
1: Funny you should say that. I've got uh, I've got three emails from lady architects, and I have promised all of them (laughs) that we will give them a chance. But we're we're not going to do an all women shortlist. But we've got yeah, you've got. Uh, Barbara Weiss and Canny Ash, and you know, you've got Ted, Deborah Sant, and you know, you've got, you know, there are some great, great architects out there. So, you know, we will uh, have a, a series of limited design competitions or charrettes and stuff like that. And so, um,
0: So we're in a car park?
1: You're not in a car park, you're in the largest surface car park in London. Um, and then you'll come into this you know, new building here, which we're um a few sketch designs, haven't got any, uh, anything to, um, to, to go public yet because it's very much work in progress, but you'll be able to walk through it. A big market hall in there. You know, we'll have opportunities you know, for retail and leisure and stuff. Uh, and then we we'll have workspace, and then we we'll have a residential tower, which might be a hotel, might be residential. Going through all the analysis at the moment, and that will take you into the new retail workspace urban center. Uh, where we will be able to have lots of retail on the ground floor, a little bit like Shad Thamesy, uh, but yeah, you know, the upper floor uses are going to be the main driver you know, commercially. So, making that great workspace or great hotels or great higher education, but then allowing adaptable spaces at the ground floors for galleries or shops or restaurants. Um, and we can uh, we can do this in phases. We can uh, we can literally slice off this end down to where it says Surrey Keys, and we can press ahead with this. Yeah, first element of the, I guess, the, the main urban centre. And then we've got the high street, the new high street will come from the existing junction down here and join up with the with the junction on the far side. So I, I think that will be the first new high street for over 150 years as well. Uh, and if you ask people around here, you say, you know, retail's dying, high streets are dead, you know, this developer wants to do a new high street, are they mad? And they go, no, we really like high streets. Yeah. If you, you know, the high street is not too long, you know, it's properly managed, it's properly choreographed, you know, you've got other reasons to go there other than shop. So you've got the pharmacist, you know, you've got the hairdressers, you might have the doctor, you might have the gallery, you might have some education thing there, you might have, you know, some other visitor attraction. You've got spaces to escape from it, you know, so it's a city for everyone, but, you know, I've got my own space or I've got my own meeting place. You've got little places for the teenagers to kind of get away from all the... There is some cover. You know, it rains 115 days a year in London, um, which you know, we have collective amnesia about the weather sometimes, don't we? Is, Do we it, it, a,
0: is it a pedestrianised high street, or does it
1: cost It will be mainly pedestrian. The, the, the high street will have some vehicles in it. It will have taxis. It will have some bus routes. Uh, we're we're pretty relaxed. We're discussing with Southern Transport for London whether it does have some more vehicles, uh, but certainly if it does have. General traffic, which we'd rather it didn't, you know, we'd like that to be restricted in speed. Uh, but we, we can stop general traffic, you know, there are techniques of doing it, It'd be, a, be a, an adopted street, but um, there are some legal issues going through at the moment as to whether Southwark or TfL want that, but we certainly don't want it to be heavily trafficked at all, uh, and it will have wide pavements. Um, and it will have lots of trees and lots of places to sit and public toilets and all those kind of things, and connections into the, into the other kind of cuts area, as we're, as we're calling it, and then you'll be able to walk through and go off into the printworks area the three and the three-and-a-half-acre new park over there.
0: Roger Madlin takes me to the Noisy Canada Water Café, which he appears to use as his site office. We continue our conversation over the din of what is obviously already a neighbourhood hotspot.
1: I've learned that uh, there are some great things out there that have been around for thousands of years, hundreds of years or just the past few years and you should keep looking. Uh, we are not the only people that you know are thinking about some of these challenges and other people have not only thought but they have done things that are good. So never stop looking and learning. doesn't mean you spend your whole life looking around the, the world it's always much better to look more locally because you know every country has its you know, own societies and legal structures and operations but yeah. never stop learning never stop listening and talking these projects are always a dialogue they have to be a dialogue you know that's that's how things happen in the UK uh, and the more you can Create an intelligent, informed, trusting dialogue, the more likely you are to come up with the best solutions and the more likely you are to be able to deliver the best solutions. And I really learnt that in Birmingham and Manchester, where both those cities would almost greet you at the train station and say, How can we help? You know, they were just really willing. The planning system really works up there, and in London it's, it's a little bit more challenging, but there are really good characters out there you know whether they were you know the guys at Camden you know, the politicians at Camden or the GLA or the Transport for London you know these are professional people who, who are passionate about being in the built environment and if you can get them around the table and feel they're part of the great privilege you've got you're going to come up with a better art it's going to be more fun as well you know people are fun uh, and uh, yeah. I came into Southwark, uh, having seen some good things that have happened south of the river. But one of the one of the challenges of working on something big like King's Cross is you you're in danger of becoming a little bit insular. You know, you, your life is obviously King's Cross and travelling to King's Cross and north of north of London. I think when I started to become involved down here, I was just completely amazed with parts of London I had just passed through or never been through and some great stuff that had been happening here without anything to do with me. It's extraordinary. You know, or, or the planners at Camden. Yeah. Um, I think there's been some wonderful stuff uh, happening in and around you know, south of the river, so to speak.
0: So what were you impressed by that you saw that you thought was different? Well,
1: the most um, obvious thing is the planning policy that was in place in November 2015, the Canada Water Area Action Plan, produced by Southwark you know, I read it because I didn't want to get involved in a project that was going to be a, you know, a huge battle from a policy point of view, you know, because a that takes time and to you, know, you might not win. You know, what you want to do might be not what others others want to do, um, and I read. Canada Water Air Action Plan and it you know, genuinely is I think one of the best planning policies I have seen here you know, it's kind of visionary it says you know, here is uh, a lot of land uh, around Canada Water Station uh, it was almost entirely built you know, in the wow. 80s and early 90s before the Jubilee Line came before the, uh, London Overground was upgraded um, and it's suburbia and we think it should now be urban. We think it should now be you know, a new urban centre, a new town centre. And uh, by and
0: suburban you mean it was big car parks, industrial yeah. estates?
1: Yeah, when, when the docks closed and uh, you know, they filled in and London Docks Development Corporation took control of, of Rotherhithe Peninsula, one Southwark were very cheesed off about that politically, but um, you know, their mission was to just get economic activity, so they they put the infrastructure in and encouraged anything to happen. So you've got low density cul de sac housing, which is much loved, but you know, it is unusual to see low density cul de sac housing. You've got um, progressively more dense and slightly higher quality housing along the river's edge, some of the first you know, housing, private housing along the river's edge. You, know, you look at it now and you think it's very low density and kind of medium quality, but again, it's. You know, actually built quite well and, and much love but you also got a lot of industrial uses you've got the big print works you know you've got storage warehouses you've got electrical uh, you know, light manufacturing stuff and then you've got the big uh, Surrey Key shopping centre with the largest surface car park in Zone 2 you know it is just strange you know, walking through 1400 space surface car park in Zone 2 when you're 11 minutes from Green Park or you know, you're 13-minute cycle from the Bank of England. You know, you've got a car park that big, there's 240 more spaces you know, next to the big cinema box that you would expect to see on a ring road on a city that that isn't London. Um, but they're very successful. Surrey key Shopping Centre gets 7.2 million customer visits a year. It's got Poundland and it's got Boots in it and it's got, you know, it's got Halifax Building Society and Starbucks and... Uh, you know, Holland and Barrett, and H Samuel, and you know, shops that people you know, still want and still use. So we want to to build on what is here. We don't want to suddenly obliterate you know, all of what is very well used and one produced, loved. Um, but we do want to make it urban, like the policy says, and that, in my definition, means bringing tens of thousands of people here every day to undertake commerce or education. And if you get 20, 30,000 people coming and going every day. Different kinds of people here will encourage different cultural attractions, different retailers. The existing retailers will probably change their offer slightly. Business hopefully will be better. Um, And you you start to not need 1400 space surface car parks, one hope, because most of those people will be coming here by public transport, you know, by the underground or, or the overground, or you know, bicycle, or bus, or, or walk, or, or river bus. Um, and you know, that, that is a huge opportunity to create a new urban, a new town centre in in London. I don't think it's been done for 150 years. Every time I say that, everyone looks at me and goes, "Yeah, it's more bullshit from Roger. But you know, wh- when was the last Brixton or Peckham or Islington or, you know, all of those places evolved around the, the main coaching routes out of London, I guess. Um, uh, Maribor here, you here know, what, 200, 200 years ago, you know, when the, the great estates kind of started laying out these new, we, we're doing that here, you know, no one's done that as far as I know, you know for a long, long, long time. And if we do it well, uh, I think, you know, this could be a, a, a real... It, a real exemplar, we hope, you know, of, of how to create new urban environments almost from scratch.
0: So can you talk me through the, um, the vision of the place? So would it be retaining the shopping centre?
1: Or... No, we're not, uh, we're not retaining the shopping centre, but we, we want to retain, uh, while we go right the way through the development, a significant amount of what the shopping centre offers. Uh, and then we want to increase you know, the amount of retail and leisure and cultural facilities here as the place gets more people coming, coming and going every day, and and living here. Um, and my my view of what makes great cities is is not only you know, a great mix of uses, a great reason for, for people to want, to want to be there, stay there and, and visit there, but is the journeys between those, those uses and you know, just the joy of, of wandering and connecting. I know sometimes we don't think it is a joy wandering around London, but all of my favourite places in London you know, are where it is a pleasure. Going between the buildings, or it is easy, or you, know, you, you find the best cafe that you know has got the nicest view, or the nicest place outside, or the best lighting. Um, and when we when we travel around the world, the best places are where you can just go for that—not aimless, but you know, just that serendipitous walk. You know, what's down there? Let's explore down there. And that and that joy of walking, you know, which the Europeans you know, call, Italian you know, Italians call Farallone yeah. Passaggiata. Uh, we all do it, but we don't really know we do it like happens in, in Italy. And if we can create the most amazing Farallone Passaggiata at Canada Water on our land, I think we will have something um, good. But the very, very exciting thing about Canada Water is we connect into 120 acres of wood, park and dock and so you can do a, you can do a five kilometre circuit here and you only cross one major road and you go through that and look. Just like you tell me, any urban place you know, in Europe you know, that has that opportunity on its doorstep.
0: So bordered by two large parks?
1: We're bordered by Dot Woodland uh, and Stave Hill Ecology Park, which is about 40 acres of, of in-effect woodland. Um, we literally connect into it. Uh, we connect into Greenland Dock, which is 24 acres of amazing water space, you know, used for non pad water sports with water sports centre, sailing, paddle boarding, you know, canoeing and stuff. And then we connect just over Lower Road into Southwark Park, 64 acres, of, you know, the first municipal park in London, you know, with football pitches, cricket pitches, all-weather athletics tracks. Uh, Boating lake, bandstand, tennis court, you know, rose gardens, children's play areas. Used to have a lido, but you know, sadly that's gone. Um, it's just wonderful. Yeah. And the
0: southern border. What have you got below the site? Southern Park. Oh, that's suck. Park.
1: Southern Park. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, you know, it, it, it's big enough to have the um, park run there on Saturdays. But yeah, I'm not suggesting everyone gets out here you know, and runs five-kilometer circuits. But yeah, you know, we've got. Uh, an elderly person's charity here called Time and Talents and they have been here 150 years and they have got these amazing tandem uh, tricycles you know where you can go with an older person and you can take them for a cycle ride and they're working with the young person's children's charity we've got here Global Generation who did the skip gardens at King's Cross yeah, and the elderly and the young are coming together, and they're growing stuff, and they're you know, teaching each other things that you know the young people know and the older people don't, know and, and vice versa. And it's wonderful looking at those social connections. I think what uh, what's happening at the moment, and I sat for two hours last night listening to um, a very capable chap going through some research about travel trends over the last two decades and what has been happening over the last two years. No one knows why these things are happening. There's lots of people who say, aha, that's because of the the fact that young people are not taking to driving because they find it convenient to travel around in Ubers and public transport. Or someone might say it's because actually the affordability. Of housing to them is so high that they couldn't even think about buying a car or stuff like that. So I'm sure those are those are factors that, that come into it. And ladies over 60, you know, are increasing in terms of driving. And in fact, all uh, both, both both sexes, you know, over 70 are increasingly driving. And um, in London as well, and traffic has increased in London. Uh, we know we know about the deliveries. Um, but bus ridership's going down, is that because of the traffic? You know, an underground ridership has gone down in the last two years, and is that because we're all agile working? Is it because you know, there's more part-time working? Is it because you know, all of those factors are, are being researched and looked at, and I find them fascinating, and Transport to London find them fascinating. I think you can get, well, first of all, all we know is whatever we think is causing it probably isn't just that. And what we think will happen in two years or five years or 10 years, we will be wrong. Um, all we do know is as the population expands, demands of transport in all its forms does tend to increase, or so far it has done. but maybe that's wrong. maybe we are at this peak car, peak transport, I don't know. Um, I think technology clearly in the last Probably the last two or three years has genuinely started to change the way a lot of us work for the first time significantly for many, many, many decades. You know, when I can now work anywhere because technology is usable by an idiot like me uh, and the whole security systems and the way we go into our files. That's been a very recent thing Um, and a lot of employers are trying to encourage non-peak travel. A lot of employers are trying to encourage some working from other offices, or, or it's not just working from home. Um, and all we can say is those changes are probably going to carry on. Now, what does it mean for Canada Water? What does it mean for the design here? Well, first of all, if you go into Canada Water Station during the peak, 45 minutes, uh, you will find it horrendous because it's completely rammed. And so there is, quite rightly, concern from some of the people around here who go, we can't possibly do any more development, you know, because, like, transport's full. When you look into why Canada Water Station's congested, 78% of those people never actually come out of the station. They transfer from the overground to the Jubilee Line, and increasingly vice versa, as Shoreditch and Hoxton and Dawson and Croydon and you know, New Cross and Crystal Palace and Peckham and places like that start to become... You know, places where, where work is 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 happening. So yeah, the very glib answer is, well, if we give them a reason to get off the station at the water, you know, by building workspace, like we solve interchange problems, which we kind of do. And then people say, oh but they can't get on the train in the first place. Well, they can because they're already on the train, you know, getting on at Stanmore or whatever. But yeah, that that is a bit glib. Um, but how Canada Water station? suddenly became really congested was not predicted you know, the, the whole of the london overground growth was not predicted anywhere near as, as high in fact peter hendy said to me in recent history the growth projections for the east london line here you know, london overground in 2004 were, were laughed at as being too optimistic you know passenger growth is never going to be like that on you. We can't justify that investment anyway. They force the investment through, and the growth on the London Overground Line has, has exceeded any calculation by the most of any passenger growth forecast ever. And that's, that's got huge positive implications for Canada Water and, and for other parts of London. If you're under 35, more people can get to Canada Water on the Jubilee Line and the Overground Line than anywhere else in Central London today in 45 minutes, other than Liverpool Street.
0: That's driven by the affordability. problem. It's driven
1: by it's the only the only places we're building significant amounts of new homes, apartments. You know, is you know northeast, east, east, southeast, and south, and they're all connected to Canada Water. So if you're if you're an employer and you want to employ anyone under the age of 35, they find it easier to get here than Marble Arch or King's Cross. You know, those are facts that are now out there. So, so developing workspace here will you know, change that interchange issues, uh, and it will you know, be the driving force of making this you know, a much more urban commercial space. How how we then design it to carry on dealing with those changes? I want to design the the, the public realm and, and and the ways around the development in ways that are. Adaptable, flexible, and give people choices. You know, I want to be able to cycle everywhere. Now, be careful. You know, there will, will be some places where you will have to get off your bike, or, or you, but generally, uh, I want people to be able to cycle everywhere. I want people to be able to walk everywhere. I want traffic to be very slow. Uh, I want traffic to be reduced, but not eliminated. You know, I don't think cars are going to disappear, I don't particularly want cars to disappear. I think I think they do provide uh, an element of. of Cityness. You know, we had this chat at King's Cross with Peter Bishop. I think you know some traffic, some personal traffic on roads and high streets is quite good as long as it's as long as it's not going that fast. You know, as long as it's not that polluting. In Putney High Street is terrible because the pavements are narrow, the roads are always full. You, know, you feel as though you're about to die of pollution. But you go to other places where there is no traffic and it feels very sterile. it's Just getting that balance of the right pavement width. Uh, you know, the right traffic speeds, you know, the right places to pull in and also making the, the streets not through rich. Know, a lot of the traffic in lots of places in London is, is not actually wanting to be there, it's just trying to get from somewhere the other side of it to the other side of it, isn't it? So we don't want traffic like that at Canada Water, but I'm certainly not anti. Hopefully there'll be electric cars, hopefully there'll be slower and hopefully there'll be fewer, but they're not all suddenly going to disappear. Everyone knows retail is changing, and again, like our discussion about transport and uh, how various modes are being used and changing, retail—the acceleration and the change of retail—know you the last probably the last three years you know, has has uh, ac- accelerated, isn't it? And I think that will carry on uh, for the foreseeable future. But what? retailers you know restaurateurs as well and cultural uh, users people who who operate spaces in buildings where they want members of the public to wander in That's, you know, whether it's a gallery or cultural or music or selling something people still want to walk in public realm and see stuff going on and and wander in. I don't think that is going to change. But what retailers say to me, they say to British Land, we've got a lot of retail around, is they want to put their operation here, whether it's a cafe or a shop, in a a great place. What What does that mean? That great place means there are either lots of customers already there, So King's Cross and hopefully here, you know, you've got tens of thousands of people working above or next door or across the street. So they've got that captive audience to attract attract in. So what what are they going to attract them in with? Um, And when those people aren't there, you know, maybe on a Sunday morning, yeah. Have you created a great place that attracts people to come there for other reasons? Because it's just—it's clean, it's safe. You can take your your elderly relatives there. You can take your kids there. You know, it's just where do we go? You know, what are we going to do at the weekend? Let's go down to Canada Washington There's always something. There's always something going on there. You know, there's always something interesting going on there. You know, everyone will like it. But like, you know, it happened at the South Bank. You know, you could watch the South Bank. Fifteen years ago, just suddenly, you know, like, well, why are all these people coming to the South Bank? It was clean. It was safe. There's always something going on. King's Cross the same we're going to try and do that at Canada Water City. So, so we're going to have the 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 people there working every day and we're going to hopefully make an amazing public realm to have people coming here uh, when the people aren't working here and then the, the businesses have got to say you know, if I sell clothes you know, why would someone want to come to my shop as opposed to buy online uh, are we going to have fashion shows here? Are we going to have you know, extra fittings? Are we going to have models there? Are we going to have films or events there? Are we going to start to use that space more than from 10 o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night? You know, are we going to turn it into a restaurant in the evening? Uh, and I think the, the smarter retailers and the smarter landlords are not only thinking about the place, but they're also thinking about the product. They're thinking about how can that product that the landlord's offering or the retailer's using be used more than in the traditional you know eight hours a day to get the most from it. You know, could could they co-occupy it with someone else? You know, could you could you use a, a shop you know for homework club in the evening? You know, just just a crazy idea. You know. Could you
0: and the could you sleep is- in the shops?
1: You know, like yeah, you know, could you put homeless people in the shops? You know, there's some of these. Ideas not carrying the water of King's Cross, yeah, you know, are starting to be thought about. You know where retail has been has been suffering. They then want a great product that is also very usable in terms of what they want to do in it. And then in six months' time, they might want to do something else in it. So, so can that product adapt? You know, can they can they refit it you know, really quickly and very cost effectively? You know? can that product get serviced quickly, you know, if suddenly they want an articulated glory, you know, because they're going to completely change the set for, for something else. And they also want flexibility. You know, they don't want to sign up for a 25 year deal, you know, paying you X amount. So that flexibility might say to the landlord, we've got this great idea. Uh, we're not quite sure how great it is, but you know, we think it's great and here's the business plan. And the landlord might say, great, come in there for nothing. And we'll have 20% of, you know, how your great idea goes. Uh, and you know, the early occupiers at Kings Cross, the, the restaurant, really, went in on zero rent, eight percent of turnover. You know, we were confident. Yeah, you know, they wanted a little bit of, you know, comfort that you know they weren't just going to sit there and have an empty restaurant and you know, paying us rent. Yeah, you know, they hit the turnover caps. You know, within three months of opening, Caravan restaurant. Um, and so you know, sensible landlords are are looking at the, the place, how they can make the place you know better, twenty four hours, seven days a week. Uh, how they can make the product you know more adaptable, more cost effective, you know, uh, more usable, uh, and um, how we can structure the deal financially to give uh, entrepreneurial, yeah. amazingly innovative people you know whether they're selling clothes or you know cauliflowers or you know, whether they're yeah, selling art or performance or culture or or whatever Um, how we can help their businesses to succeed and pay us to build the bloody stuff in the first place and manage it and look after it you know it's that it's that relationship that partnership you know that that I also find very exciting
0: so how do you choose you want to get the retail in early then you might give them an incentive to be here because it might be difficult in trading how do you choose your retailers
1: uh, I choose my retailers uh, if, if I like them and I like their ideas and you know, they want to work with us and be collaborative and share in success and you know uh, in, in trade trade I will kind of like help them if things aren't very successful so, so I like people who have got good ideas. Yeah, you know, go, that's that's a great idea. Yeah, you know, they're not all going to work, are they? Yeah. You know, we used to have a uh, the retail strategy at Kings Cross, and it's kind of turned out that way uh, to an extent. But I think you know we need to to take it to the next stage here at Canada Water. Yeah. You
0: know,
1: What's the next stage? Maybe yeah. Well, at Kings Cross and here, you know, I've, I've kind of got a one in five theory. So you know, every fifth retailer probably is someone that. Hasn't really done anything before, but it's a nice idea, and you want to give them a chance. They're really different. And they might be ahead of the curve. So far ahead, it might it might be rubbish. But you, you kind of give them a go, and you help. A bit like Caravan at Pinks Cross. Uh, every fifth one, they've, they've probably got one or two, and you go, well, just take it to the next level. You know, we kind of know that you know, you're good at this. You know, but let's let, let's work with you and and give you a, a step up, and then you've got. Every third one is, is probably much more of a visitor attraction, you know, whether it's an art gallery or a museum or something, or something, you know, that you're going to want to come and, and see, you know, maybe a revolving exhibition. Every third one probably is a is a you know, horrible, you know, evil scumbag multinational that just goes, actually, you know, this is an amazing place, I want to do, maybe I want to do the same thing that I've done everywhere else, and, you, know, you know. I do like going into Pret-a-Manger when I want a quick cappuccino and I want that class you know. Uh, but maybe, a bit like Paul Smith's done some of the other people up at King's Cross, they go, yeah, but this is a different place, I'm going to do something a bit different. But it, it's still a, a, you know, a, a multinational or, or a national operator, recognising it's, it's, it's an opportunity. Yeah, there are two high streets that don't quite connect to, um, to our 53 acres here. You know, one of them is Lower Road which is too trafficked and you know, there is a traffic proposal that you know, hopefully will be implemented fairly soon and we will connect into Lower Road and we would, we would love to work, well we are working closely with Southwark but we would love to work more closely with Southwark you know, and, and really work with the existing retailers uh, in Lower Road and, and make that a real local high street connecting into our new high street. And then you've got Albion Street, which is about three minutes that way, which is kind of quite difficult to get to at the moment. But our first uh, phase, you know, has a new public space at the dock office and goes across a zebra crossing, maybe a pelican crossing, you know, into Canada Water Estate. You know, and if the residents and the locals and Southwark want it, you know, that route could be improved. You could go into Albion Street, you know, which is a high street, which which has has died. You know, like there's two or three shops here. You know, with, in fairness to them, they're still alive, but it's it's dead as far as most commentators would say. And wouldn't it be lovely to, you know, to to link, you know, Albion Street, you know, bring Albion Street back to a kind of local high street you know, status. You know, you walk through, you know, through Rotherhithe, you come into our high street, and you, know, you walk down to Lower Road, and, it, and it's all part of the same offer. Uh, and you know the poor little loves that you won't know, cross York Way at King's Cross, or you know, can't be really asked to walk down to the stations, you know, where they probably were before they got to their office in the first place, but they had their eyes closed. You know, maybe it is just completely natural that you know you you, you walk from our know, 53 acres into, you know, and, and no one knows exactly. You know. We try very hard at King's Cross, and we will try even harder here. You know, I think it's very important that you don't you don't feel you're going from one piece of city to another piece, you know. We really want to make it completely seamless, you know, socially, psychologically, physically. And and, and I know Southwark are 100% with that as well. So you know, we would see all of that as, as part of our offer. And keeping Poundland and keeping Spudgy like and keeping Burger King, you know, and then adding, you know, the, the other shops and, and restaurants and cultural facilities. but um yeah we've got the the poetry school have just taken some space in our listed stock office building, and there were a, a few comments locally about you know that's not for us you know those pop people you know well first of all you, you think of rap you know like rappers is the new poetry and you know they've had some very interesting uh characters down there and, and rappers down there uh, and one of the chaps next door who was kind of giving me a hard time because he does anyway in, in a nice way um, he um, he sent me a poem that night. He actually sent me a poem, and he said, "I've written this poem here you know, about working the dock." And he kind of go, he kind of cracked it. You? you know, when you've got when you've got someone who's going, you know, "That's not for us." If you can somehow encourage them you know, to open the door and go in and realise that you know there are there are people like them there, but that is tricky because the natural natural reaction is you know anything new is not for us uh, so we will try very hard. The trick is uh, kids um, don't have those issues so if you have uh, education uh, embedded you yeah, like, yeah, the school at King's Cross is brilliant uh, yeah, and some people don't really know the schools, school's there I think but it's quite difficult to constantly permeate kids throughout the the public realm and get businesses involved in the in the school kids and the parents of the school kids you know to understand you know, what's what's around uh, and the elderly you know the elderly you know you know lots of research and it's a bit common sense you know, the elderly have got a huge amount to offer if you just give them a little bit of help in connecting with the new communities that, that we're creating and why i think this is more exciting than King's Cross or any other development is the 3,000 homes we've got to do here, and the workspace that uh, we can get 25, 30,000 people here, and the higher education, here and the retail, and the leisure. If we can facilitate connections between the residential communities, old people, young people, uh, poor people, uh, affluent people, uh, working people, non-working people, uh, if, if we can. Get social connection opportunities. You know, ring a bell Wednesday afternoon, I've, I've said this before. And because British land will actually know everyone that's here hopefully not in a spooky way you know we will be able to say to people who work here there is a there is a homework club you know, and we can check you out you know and if you want to go and sit down with the kids or if you've got you know, any you know, stem skills you know, there is an elderly person's you know, dining club you know there is a group of elderly people that like some help with the shopping you know there are some people in the community that would like help with their account you know, set up a time bank and also set up a, a sporting thing as well yeah all of those things take huge amounts of management, uh, quite rightly so. You know, you can't just go into in, into an office space and say any of you want to you know, coach the kids football club. One, you know, you need a coaching badge. Two, you need to be checked out by the police. But we can facilitate that. You know, so we can start to say to the, you know, the schools, you know, we could do this. We could do the reading club, you know, we could do the sports club, you know, we could, you know, do the elderly shopping club, you know, we could do the, the bridge club, you know, the table tennis club, you know, we could do the tricycle, you know, cycle riding and that social connections is, is what we hear from employers, is what they want for their employees, because you know, mental health, big issues, it's not just physical health and well-being, it's, it's people want to connect, you know, they want to understand what's going on, they want to work out what value they add other than, you know, like they just did the audit in the office, you know. you know, people have got so much more to offer. So that social connection side of Canada Water, with that mix of uses, I think is, is the most exciting aspect of it. Teenagers. Teenagers uh, are, are, are always the, the, probably the most challenging. Yeah, and the, the knife crime issues at the moment, uh, in my view, not just my view, but some of the um, youth workers that I got to know around King's Cross and I still see and some of them we're we're getting to try and help us here uh, when they stopped the kind of sure start stuff what, about 15 years ago you know when you used to identify uh, parents or you know single parents you know who just about have a child and you go they probably need some support I'm not quite sure whether it's financial or housing or or drugs or something like that um, so those families were then offered support right from the day that, that kid was born. Um, that has been uh, not completely withdrawn everywhere, but fundamentally that help has reduced significantly, if not stopped completely. And you draw a line from there to now, and you look at the knife crime, and kids in those areas, you know, where the parents weren't provided with the support, you know, or they weren't provided with the support, they have two choices at school, to join that gang or that gang. And they join one of those two gangs and you know, when you know, they hear knife crimes happen you know, in someone else's manner, it becomes a, well, a, yeah. we're falling behind, you know, we're falling, so. I'm not saying that is the only answer, but uh, getting in early, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, when we stopped that social support, you can almost directly relate that to the growth in life time in London. Would more police on the street help? Probably not really. Um, yeah. you know, will more prison centres help? Probably not really. Yeah, it's, it's that social intervention that was taken away, in my view, that needs to be added back pretty damn <coughs> quick. And it will take, you know, Sadiq can't right, it will take a generation to sort this out. Because those kids, you know, a lot of them yes. are going to end up in prison. Yeah, and be much more expensive, than it would have cost us, you know, to do that social in- intervention that yeah was done. You know, slag off the Blair administration for lots of reasons, but uh, but you know that that whole idea of you know, capturing uh, as soon as that kid was born and helping that family you know, was was one of the best best things they did. And to take that away and to take social housing grant away, you know, is is, is part of the. You know, we're seeing the consequences now. Sure. Oh no! I'd love to saying. build social
0: housing. It costs
1: three hundred thousand pounds to subsidise each council house. You know, like, it's like, where do I get that money from? Imagine me going to the board and I say, "Hey, can we build a hundred council houses?" And they're like, "Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, well done. Yeah, who's thirty million quid there, then?"
0: So I think that's my my question to you. What, like, what do you say about that about that filification? Like I mean, you could also be saying none of this is your problem. You're not saying that. Saying I'll
1: send you, you right. my "How to Solve the Housing Crisis" essay I wrote which, you know, just, just, just so bloody obvious, you know, why we have a housing crisis, because no one's tried to address the housing crisis for three decades, it's not a party political thing. You know, if we want to subsidise housing, which all, as far as I know, every country I've been to in the world, a democratic country, you know, subsidises housing to, to an extent, you know, and it's a challenge for, for, for all of us, because you know, it takes a lot of money to subsidise the most subsidised housing and you, know, you talk to Peabody or you talk to Nottingham housing you know to provide a council house council rent two bed you know in central london takes about 300,000 pounds subsidy It's a lot of money now you know, in the old days 10 years ago there was something called a housing yeah you know, government said you know as a country we want to subsidise housing so ken minister said i want 50% you know, affordable housing i think it's right i think you know, we should be doing 50% but you know, you've got to have that subsidy and that subsidy is should come from general taxation you know like what, why should it come from the developer you know, it's like piece Peter fin, uh, Paul, Paul Finch says you know you put a tax on people that want to make a loaf of bread you, know, you have a bread shortage in three months you know? You, know, like, you know if we make loads of money you know I'm happy to pay tax I'm, you know I love paying tax you know because it means you know I've earned money I can pay money I don't I don't know any business genuinely you know, but if it's made a profit, you know, doesn't really like paying tax. You know, of course, I'm sure there's some that, you know, would, would rather not because they think it's misused and all that kind of stuff. But you've got to make the bloody money. You know, and I have to go to the Board of British Land and say, wow. you know, here is my business proposition at Canada Water. I want 400 million quid for the first phase. I'm going to build, you know, two large empty office buildings you know, and wait to get lucky. You know, because I think, you know, people are going to come there. And I'm going to build 163 apartments, you know, which we're not going to pre-sell in China because we don't want to do that, in any anyway, they're not allowed to buy them anymore. And you know all that market's got, you know. But I'm pretty confident. You know, we're probably sell it. It'll probably take us, you know, a couple of years to sell them. Yeah, you know. we might not. We might have to rent them out. But you know, I'm prepared to take that risk. But then, if I say, oh, and by the way, you know, I've got to build, you know, hundreds council homes. You know. could I have 30 million quid, you know, to subsidise them? Yeah, they're going to go like, well, no, actually, we'd rather go out and you know, we build an office building in the city, yeah. or yeah, you know, actually, we go and buy some of our shares back. Yeah, um, and that basically, you know, who owns British Land? Well, you probably do. You got pensions, yeah, you probably own British Land. I used to love it at Argent because you know, British Telecom pension scheme, you know, put all the money into Argent. Yeah. Hands up who work for British Telecom? Yeah, about forty yeah, percent. Anyone got a pension? Yeah, like, it's your money I'm spending. So I'm just going to build two empty office buildings to wait to get lucky. Do you want to do it? I go, oh no, that's really risky. Yeah? I think we get there. So, yeah, if you want to do subsidised housing, it should come from general taxation. So, Government stopped housing grant in 2010. It's mad. We haven't got any housing.
0: So is Section
1: 106 working? No. Well, if you've got Section 106, which, which as a principle... I you know, I cannot disagree with, you know, developments should pay, you know, to deal with the problems that, you know, the challenges, you know, the extra infrastructure, you know, they need to, to survive. I have got a problem with that, it's Section 106, it's been kind of expanded and, you know, misused. And then, since then, you've got SIL, you know, which is, in principle is a great idea, because that makes Section 106 disappear or very soon. And then you've got the other, you know, mayoral SIL as well. If we were trying to do King's Cross today, it couldn't happen. And now you've got to you know, find the money to subsidise the housing you know, from the profits that you may or may not make in 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 years' time. Like, no wonder we're getting crap development and not enough housing. It's not rocket science, is it?
0: This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer. Produced by Simon Mercer. With music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at TCMurray. For more podcasts, visit us at thedeveloper.live.